First John chapter four, verse one. If you do not know where that is, go to the back of the Bible, book of Revelation, and then turn left. Uh, and you'll, don't go too fast because you'll go right by it. It's right there. Um, if you're visiting, my name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. Where are my conduit kids? Are you guys in here? All right. Hey, look, you're taking one for the team today, and I want to acknowledge that, and thank you for that. Your parents are so glad that you're here, uh, and I'm glad that you're here, and I know you might, like, I'm not as good-looking as James, and I'm not as fun as Becca, but we'll get through this together, okay? Together, right? And it'll be like 30 minutes. It's like, what, one episode of something on Disney Channel of stuff, and then we'll be done. So, First John chapter 4, <laughs> verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which is you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. I know when you think that, you immediately start thinking uh, Kirk Cameron and the whole thing, but the, the Antichrist spirit is literally, it just means in place of Christ. That's the word, um, in, anyway. In, so when you th- hear that phrase, the spirit of in place of Jesus is what that is saying. Verse four, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Verse seven, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God and whoever does not Love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we ask for your for your word to be what you promised. It would be a light and a lamp. Uh, in, in a world that's kind of confusing, you bring clarity, and we're so grateful for that. And so I pray today, Lord, that the, your words would be a light and a lamp for us, and that uh, you would speak through me, uh, in spite of me, uh, and to me, to all of us, our own personal uh, rhema word from you this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Uh, amen. So, amen, Shawnee Mac. <laughs> uh, so we've been on this little a journey of, about contending for our faith. Um, it's really super simple in our society to be content with our faith. Nobody's pressing us on it, really. Uh, we're here today, we're in no danger, we're in no fear of it. But so we, it's easy to become content with our faith, but the Bible tells us to contend for our faith. And I would say to you that the problem and the, the assault, so to speak, on our faith is every bit as insidious and dangerous uh, as what they might be experiencing in a different way. But here, because the assault in America has been intellectual on us. And so it's super sneaky, and we don't even know it's happening to us. And so that's what this journey has been about. Some of you in this room 
you know, if you're in your 20s, this isn't just something for, for teenagers. This is for all of us. In your 20s and your 30s, you start asking these questions. They're being thrown at you. And you don't even have the courage to ask your mom or dad about it or because you don't want to question because what are they going to think if I don't really understand this? I heard this guy say that. And so we're just going to talk about it. And for these next few weeks, uh, Elisa Childers will actually be here next Sunday. She'll be back again. Uh, she's with us on Wednesday nights with our students. Uh, we are going through uh, in our small groups, in our deeper groups, which uh, start today, the new semester. We're actually going through the book, The Reason for God from Tim Keller which is a brilliant treatise on, uh, on how, why we believe what we believe. And for those of you that don't think this is a problem, the world is full of this right now. In our young people growing up, but it's not just young people. There are people my age that are asking, wait a minute, I don't understand why this. So we're gonna go through this as a group in small groups, and if you have not signed up for a deeper session, I would encourage you to do that, and we'll give you a copy of that book as well. But for these Sundays, I've only got like 33 minutes on a Sunday, right? So I can't go super deep. We might get a couple cannonballs into the deep end, but it's not like we can go super deep for long. So that's why I'm encouraging you to take this journey on your own, for you to contend for your faith, for you to put in the work. Remember the first week we talked about, you go to the gym and you see the dude like super jacked, upper body, ripped, and then he's got the chicken legs, right? Because he's been skipping leg day. Leg day's not as fun, and if that, I just stand in the room. If that's you, I would like to apologize, but um, <laughs> upper body strength is important, but I really think that the, the foundation of our faith, of why we believe, it's leg day in the church, okay? That's what I'm saying. So for the weeks before, we talked about last week, we're, I'm just gonna go through like an objection every week. I'm literally just looking at the polls that have said, hey, if you don't believe in Jesus, you know, what is an obstruction of your faith? Like why you don't believe? And I'm literally just going through them one by one. Um, one of the problems is why, if God is so good, if there's a God, then why is all this evil and suffering? That's what we did last week. One of them is evolution. 91% of kids that say that they're uh, teenagers, especially, that can't uh, believe in God, that don't believe in God, 91% say that evolution was their problem. So we're going to talk about that. We do that in November. But one of them is uh, the question that we're gonna tackle today, which is that God is, this Christianity thing is just so exclusive. That it's, it's, it's can't all religions be right? If, if Christianity is, I can't really believe that because it's so exclusive, it's not inclusive, or some variation of that question, some variation of that struggle. And so, that's what I wanna address today in the few minutes that I have. In this text, there's actually some hints at this, but what's happening in our society is, a, a world right now that is coming in place of Christ and saying that if you uh, are a, a Jesus person, that you are crazy. And I'm gonna read to you, uh, sorry, now I'm going to read to you the words of a guy that, uh, that, that basically said something similar to this this week. So let me, let me start with this and say this. When you look at the world right now, what they're saying is, whether it's Bill Maher or just name a media guy, New York Times, whatever, is that religion is the basis of all of our problems in our society, in, in, in the world. And, and the truth is that, that, that is, they're saying that whether it's here or they're saying that in the Middle East, sorry. And so they say, because religion is a problem, and by the way, I want to say something that you might actually be surprised by. I actually agree with them. 
uh, I agree that religion is a problem. If you define religion as the message of truth that you have, is you are saved by performing that truth, then that leads to a sense of superiority in those who are performing that truth. So if religion is about, I have the truth, and as long as I am performing the truth, then I am saved, that if you do not have that truth and you are not performing that truth, then you are marginalized and oppressed, and you can unpack the problems in the Middle East, you can unpack the problems in Myanmar, the problems even in our own society, as a breakdown of that. And so if religion is defined as that, I actually agree with him. So the question is, if that's the problem, if religion is a problem in our world, then what do we do about it? And in this text, there's implied two things, there's two strategies that I, I'm gonna show you are actually in our world right now that aren't working. There's two strategies that aren't, and I think there's a strategy that, that is, uh, impl- these two are implied, this one is a, a totally implicit, like it is, it is straight up said here that this is the third strategy that does work. So we're gonna hit those two, two that don't and one that does. Two that don't that are being uh, deployed by people all over the world, and then one that the gospel compels us to that I think does work. The first strategy that isn't working, that you hear everywhere around the world, and this is the article I'm gonna read to you, is that basically the hoping for or even helping religion to fade away. Religion is our problem, so what do we do? We literally go out, if you're Richard Dawkins, if you're Christopher Hitchens, if you're Sam Harris, I'm writing blogs, I'm going on tour, I'm selling tickets to try to get religion out of our society. And at the core of it, though, is this idea that's been around for a while, and that is that as humans have evolved, as we have gotten smarter and wiser, that we don't need religion anymore. That's been going on, by the way, for, since communism, as best I can tell, if not before. And parenthetically, not true, hasn't worked. But Dan Brown, the author of The Da Vinci Code, have you read The Da Vinci Code? Right? So here's Dan Brown's new book called Origin. He was, he's doing a promotion of this book, and it's based on a, a character that has discovered some origin in society that now we've discovered where mankind comes from, and so religion is no longer needed. Okay, that's the, the basis of his book. And he says this in an interview this week promoting his book. Let's go down, I'm gonna skip down. He says, turning to the future, Brown said technological change and the development of artificial intelligence would transform the concept of the divine. He goes on to say, we will start to find our spiritual experience through our interconnections with each other, forecasting the emergence of some kind of, listen to this, global consciousness that we perceive that becomes our divine. Our need for the exterior God that sits up there and judges us will diminish and eventually disappear. Do do you hear what he's saying? We've evolved theologically, and so we won't need a God anymore. Now, two problems with that. One, it is demonstrably, patently not accurate. The religions of the world, the more technology has come into the world, have exploded, not diminished. I I, I don't know... um, other people's stats as well as I know our own because I'm a Christian. But in Africa, 100 years ago, it was like 1% were Christians. Over 50% on the continent of Africa now are Jesus people. By the way, the other, about 30% are Islamic. So my point is religions are rising, they're not falling. In, in the 40s when communism came to China, they thought, hey, we'll, we'll crush this down. We'll, we'll remove all the Western missionaries. And instead what they did uh, by pulling out the Western missionaries was they made Christianity more indigenous, and it had caused it to explode. 
So literally hundreds of millions of Jesus people in China. In Korea, 100 years ago, 1% of the population. Today, 45% of the population have become Jesus people. Philippines, I could go around the world, but I'm telling you, this is a demonstrably false. The more technologically advanced we become, we actually are seeing more increase in it. And here's, uh, actually, I, I do want to read this because the character, I think that I would be remiss to not share this with you. He bases, uh, Dan Brown bases his character on a guy named uh, Jeremy England, who's a, a math professor at MIT, okay? And this is uh, in the Wall Street Journal this week. This is, uh, this is Professor uh, <laughs> Dr. England's response to this book that has based him loosely on him. It says, two years ago I wrote a commentary uh, magazine that is impossible to describe the way things are, he puts in quotes, the way things are, without first making the significant choice of what language we speak in. The language of physics can be extremely useful in talking about the world, but it can never address everything that needs to be said about human life. This is, I love this quote. Equations can elegantly explain how an airplane stays in the air, but they cannot convey the awe someone feels flying above the clouds. I'm disappointed in my fictional self for being so blithely uninterested in what lies beyond the narrow confines of his technical field. He says, I'm a scientist, but I also study and live by the Hebrew Bible. And I just scanned way down there somehow. Turns out if you hit the wrong button, it'll go all the way to the bottom. Ever know nothing? Sorry guys, it's the cough medicine. I'm a scientist, but I also study and live by the Hebrew Bible. To me, the idea that physics could prove that the God of Abraham is not the creator and ruler of the world reflects a serious misunderstanding of both scientific method and the function of the biblical text. That's the guy that this story is based on. My point is, for us looking at this, is the idea that we can marginalize religion, we can talk people out of it, is false, and I think it's false because endemic in us as humans, the way that we are wired, he would even say the way we are evolved. I'm saying the way we're wired, however you wanna word it, is we are wired to worship something. Something will become of primary concern in our life, of primary importance to us. You can call it whatever you want to, but that is called worshiping it. And when it becomes primary, the danger is if I get something that's of primary importance to me, that enslaves me, and that's kinda what John is filling out here. If I've if I don't choose wisely, whatever my religion is, then it's going to enslave me, imprison me, and fill me with hate. Which is, I said it was implied in the text, but look what he says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets, he talks about prophets and teachers, but isn't it interesting that he says spirits, so test the, he doesn't say test the teachers, he doesn't say test the prophets, he says test the spirits, and I think that there's, that's an important thing for us to know. There's something way more deeper than an ideology or a political opinion. There's a deeper thing that goes on inside of us that we will worship something. We will choose to test the spirits, he says. From it. That's the text from us. And so if you go on and say that I can't crush, I can't like marginalize it, I can't whatever, then the other... Uh, technique that's being used is this idea that, okay, well, I can't marginalize it, so you just keep this in your private realm, right? Your faith is between you and God. Have you heard this before, right? You guys have heard this? I'm actually gonna show you a, a video of, of this. Let's see here. Which one shall I do first? 
Confine it to the private realm. This is a technique that's being used. If you keep it here, which by the way says if we do that, we need to agree that all religions are equally valid, right? You can't be exclusive. All religions are valid. They're equally valid paths to God. And the second thing we have to do if we believe that is that religion is good to give you strength in your private life, but it never argues for the values in society based on your faith. So I gotta believe that everybody's right, that I can't, because I'm not trying to convert anybody, and I also gotta keep it private because my faith can't possibly be beneficial in the public. And I'm gonna play you this. I'm hesitant because this is a political guy. And when you do a political guy, people start getting opinions, and we're all, well, most of us are adults in here, so I'm gonna treat us like adults. And I just, I wanna share this with you because this is in our society very recently where someone was accusing someone who has a Christian faith of why your faith needs to be kept private from it. And this is our good friend, Bernie. um, Their letter states, and I quote, we write to express our deep concerns about the nomination of Russell Vogt to the position of Deputy Director of the White House Office of Management and Budget. Mr. Vogt has denigrated American Muslims and the Muslim faith. His writings demonstrate a clear hostility to religious pluralism and freedom that disqualify him for any appointment, including that of Deputy Director of the OMD, so for the record. In the piece that I referred to that you wrote for a publication called Resurgent, you wrote, Muslim, quote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned, end of quote. Do you believe do you believe that that statement is Islamophobic? Absolutely not, Senator. I'm a Christian, and I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. Uh, that post, as I stated in the questionnaire to this committee, was to defend my alma mater, Wheaton College, a Christian school that has a statement of faith that includes the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation, and again, I apologize. I do forgive me. I, we just don't have a lot of time. Do you believe that people in the Muslim religion stand condemned? Is that your view? Again, Senator, I'm a Christian, and I wrote that piece. Well, what does that say? The statement of faith. Of Wheaton I Cross. understand that. I don't know how many Muslims there are in America. I really don't know. Probably a couple of million. Are you suggesting that all of those people stand condemned? What about Jews? They stand condemned too. Senator, I'm a Christian. I I understand you are a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just. I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? Thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. I believe that, that as a Christian, that's how I should treat all individuals. And do you think your statement that you put into that publication, they do not know God because they've rejected Jesus Christ the Son and they stand condemned, do you think that's respectful of other religions? Senator, I wrote a post based on being a Christian and attending a Christian school that has a statement of faith that speaks clearly with regard to the centrality of Jesus Christ in salvation. I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee um, is really not someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. I will vote no. So Bernie, <laughs> Senator Sanders, um, is, is saying that, you heard, some, you heard some buzzwords in there, religious pluralism. We need to be all 
uh, exclusive to each other. Like, we need to, all, all religions are right, so we can't be, so if I say mine is right and yours is wrong, then that is an exclusive statement and should be banned from public life. So we should put that into our private life. That's what, what Bernie is saying. And it's not just Bernie. It's pervasive in our culture. And what I wanna show you this morning is that when he says that, when someone says, well, all religions are right, that in and of itself is an exclusive statement and therefore not allowed by his own thoughts. What I'm driving at is that by keeping it in our private life, by, by saying that um, we're keeping it private, by saying that all religions are equally valid paths to God, that sounds inherently humble, doesn't it? but in and of itself is its own imperialistic form of, uh, of faith, saying that I believe this. If you're kids in here, I'm gonna give you an example that might make sense to you. If I were to blindfold, this is something that's been around for years, if I were to blindfold 10 of you kids, okay, and we were to bring a giant elephant in here, Ethan says yes, let's do. Because <laughs> this is another form of this is what they're saying. If, if, and I say, I'm gonna blindfold you, I, you've never seen a, an elephant before. Have you heard this metaphor? If you've been around a while, you've heard this. And come in and you're gonna, dis, you're gonna grab a hold of your part of the elephant and you're going to describe the elephant based upon what you know of what you're holding on to. And the, the, the metaphor normally is there are 10 blind people. They've never seen an elephant. And so the guy that's holding the tail says, yeah, elephants are little and, and scrawny and, and skinny. And the guy that's holding the trunk says, yeah, elephants are, are large and, and hose and, and those that are, the, the, they're like a broadside. They, and so they say, religion-wise, that you can't know all the truth because you can't hold it all. So therefore, all religions are valid because we don't really know the truth. Now here's the problem with that metaphor. The only way you know that to be true is if you see the whole elephant. Again, in and of itself is an exclusive statement. My point is this, we all have exclusive beliefs. We just do. Senator Feinstein interviews a, a judicial nominee and she says, your, your dogma lives large in you. And so you're not qualified to be a part of, of our judicial, so you need to leave that at home. You need to, all religions are right, we're all plural. And by the way, I want to share with you that uh, I think there's something that says for us that we can't leave our faith at home. Any one of these guys can't leave their faith at home. Let me give you another example. This is going to seem maybe silly to you because it seems so common in our culture. But if I have my own exclusive beliefs and I'm going to then go in and make legislation for, so let's say, divorce laws. Tim Keller kind of covers this in his book, probably better than I'm about to. But in divorce laws, he says, if you come to your faith, without your faith, whatever, and you say, I'm gonna make divorce laws in this country we're legislating, if your belief about marriage is that marriage is supposed to make you happy, and that's your belief about marriage, then that's how you're going to make laws about marriage. Then divorce should be easy, because I'm not happy, I need to get out of this, right? So I'm bringing that belief into it. If you, on the other hand, come from a traditional society, and you come from a place where you are, where family is not about making you happy, but about making families and about building culture and building society, then you would make divorce laws difficult. Wherever you come from as a faith position, you can't leave it at home. Whatever you believe about it, you're going to bring into whether it's legislation, into media, into, I mean, George Lucas talks about this in when he was creating Star Wars. George Lucas said that 
I wanted it to represent all faiths. He's bringing his faith to work. His faith just happens to be that all faiths are right. All faiths lead to God. And so he talks about that in his, uh, he actually uses the elephant metaphor. And says, well, we, you know, which is a total Eastern religion thing. We, we, uh, and so he says that all religions are right and that's what he wanted to accomplish in Star Wars. He brought his faith to work. And I would encourage you and I both to A, know what our faith is and no, we can't leave it at home. We're bringing it with us wherever. Whether it's Bernie's faith that says that all faiths are right, he brought it to work. It's just as much a right for her to bring her faith to work or his faith to work. Now, that said, if these, neither one of these strategies work, of leaving it home doesn't work, of keeping it in the private life doesn't work, if the faith of trying to crush it and stamp it out doesn't work, then my question, if religion is a problem in the world, and again, I concede that it is, then what do we do about it? And in this text is implied explicitly what we should do, a strategy that does work. And I think that it starts with us saying that we believe specific things that are unique and different to us and to accentuate those, not hide those. In society, don't we know, I mean, haven't you been told or believe that if we were to, let's just focus on what we have in common and when we know what we have in common, then we can go from there. The problem with that strategy is that there are certain things that we don't have in common that are deal breakers for each of us. It's a deal breaker for one side, it's a deal breaker for this side. And so if I believe that life begins at the moment that a baby is conceived, that's a deal breaker for me if a law is written differently. So for us to say we wanna be what's in common with each other sounds good on paper, but it doesn't play out that way in real life. But here's what Peter says, and in the few minutes we have, I'm gonna race through these. Because he shows in here these three things, the fountain of our faith. So again, I wanna, I wanna say to you this, everybody has an exclusive belief. I wanna show you why I think our exclusive belief is the one that brings transformation to our world, is the one that brings literally uh, transformation to our souls and makes us agents for peace, of inclusion, of, of welcoming and of Jesus in our world. And it starts with, the fountain, I'm gonna write, you can put, I guess we have a screen up there, you can put this up there. The fountain, the origin of our salvation. So where our, our salvation comes from is unique to our faith. Number two, the purpose, the function of our salvation is unique to our gospel faith. And three, the form, the method of salvation through Jesus. The fountain, he says it in verse two, that Jesus Christ has come. If he came to us, that means he was somewhere before he got here. We know that he was born in a manger in Bethlehem, but the fact that he came to us means that he was somewhere, and that is 100% unique to the Christian faith. Muhammad, Buddha, they all were born as men. They didn't come from anywhere. They started here. Our Christian faith says that he came to us. And not only that, the fountain, the source of it came from God, God becoming man, but it was the function of it because he came in the flesh, verse two tells us. Because he came in the flesh, he came in a human body that he then was crucified and resurrected in that body, which means, I think it was Benny Prophet that shares this, when you go on a mission trip, you've been away for a while and you eventually get to go home and how nice it feels in your own bed. Right, it was Martin was sharing this with me last week and it blew me away. But Jesus doesn't get to ever have that experience because he switched locations. He is now in a body. He resurrected in a physical body. And the point is, you and I in our physical body, what is unique to our faith is that we 
like Eastern religions, we're trying to transcend this old world, we're trying to transcend it. If we can get in touch with ourselves enough, then we can transcend this old uh, crummy world. A lot of Western moralistic religions say that I want to uh, be good enough and then I can be saved from this world. But in all of those scenarios, the world and your body are evil and must be destroyed and escaped. And in the gospel, it is you being resurrected. It's Revelation 21 and 22. It's a restoration of who you are. So this world matters to us because of that. Your body matters to us because of that. So from that method of salvation is the last one, the form of it, which is by grace. 100% unique to our faith. If you go to our brothers and sisters in North Africa, Audrey and I uh, had a meal, and Deidre, were you you at our dinner with us, right? Okay, I remember this right. I'm on cough medicine right now, so there's a little bit of an out-of-body experience going on for me. Um, Turns out when my wife said you should go to the doctor this week, she was right, like I had pneumonia, so. Like all those times your grandma, you're gonna get pneumonia, you're gonna. You're right. We're sitting in a Muslim's house in North Africa and they break out the couscous for us, okay? And the couscous is because they have to perform the truth in order to get saved. Now listen to this. Their truth is this. If I give to people, then I'm gonna get blessed and it gives me points towards my salvation and I'm gonna oversimplify it. But what they're saying is that at the end of life, they literally talk about these scales and if one bad work outweighs the good, they're gonna be damned forever. But here's the thing, if, if I come over to uh, Armando's house and, uh, and we're gonna have dinner together and you serve me potatoes, and it's like a potato, that's only one point. Couscous is like a thousand points because there's all these little couscouses. Couscai, what is the plural of couscous? Couscous and couscai. The point, so the, the, they were given as couscous, which t- was delicious. But in their minds, it literally follows them because they have to earn their salvation. And what I love about our salvation is that is not at all what Jesus promised us. Our salvation, it says in verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He did that so that non, (laughs) I love this, non-loving, non-performers of the truth, guys that don't get it right, can still get into heaven that are still saved, their souls will be resurrected to because of what he did, not because of what I do. And we can't skip over that. That's of critical importance. And so when you hear even churches in our own town downplay the resurrection, downplay the propitiation of our sins, they're downplaying one of the core things in our faith that is absolutely what we have to look forward to, is that we will be resurrected with Jesus and saved the method of grace. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And by the way, our Muslim friends, that makes them mad. And you know why it makes them mad? Because they know it's not fair. They'll say that, that's not fair, that's not right. If you don't earn your way in, right? They have a sense of justice that that doesn't fit. And I, you know, I love it because that means they understand it. <laughs> and it's, gonna, it's a stumbling block for them. Jesus talked about that, but the foolishness. Okay, great. Here's our exclusive belief, which is that we believe that Jesus is the only way. There are other exclusive beliefs. Here's why I think that by us accentuating the positives of, of these three things that are unique to us in our faith, why this matters to us and why it makes us and transforms us into agents of change in our society. That if you go backwards through it, that the form of our salvation, when I take that inside of me and understand that I'm saved by grace and not because of what I'm doing, it leads me to a place of humility. If the, if the ground on the cross is, in front of the cross is level, I don't look down on you 
Because I know we're all in the same, we need the same salvation. If, if you're a moralist, you can look down on everybody else and say, look, I have got this right, you have this wrong. If, if you're a secularist, okay, the secular society, it's really the same religion. I'm getting this all right, and you poor, uninformed, undeveloped, uneducated people are getting this all wrong. It's its own superiority and imperialistic belief. And it causes the same arrogance that we hear from politicians, we hear it from media, we hear it from religious people, and whether you're Christian or Muslim or Hindu, it rises up this religion because I'm looking down on you because it's about what I've done. But if it is not about what I've done, then I can look in that method of grace and say that is not a bolstering thing, it's a humbling thing for me. And when I take it inside of me and realize that it's, it's not because I'm not saved because I'm virtuous. I'm not saved because I'm wise or because I got some corner on the thing. I'm simply saved because of the atoning work of Jesus and what he did for us. And when I take it from that and realize that the function of our salvation, the purpose of that is restoration of our bodies to be restored, to be resurrected, of our world, a new heaven and a new earth, I can look and say, hey, you know what, in the Garden of Eden, nobody was hungry, nobody was naked. Well, virtually, you know what I'm saying. They, nobody knew that they were naked. There weren't, there's no shame, there was no in the garden and in the future there'll be no more tears, everyone will have enough, there'll be food. So that when we go and provide meals like we did again yesterday in Haiti, 150 kids getting to eat in Africa, we're saying to them, this is a glimpse of glory because you are valuable. I love what that candidate said, as all humans are of value in this form of, that there is a a centric belief in that because our bodies matter, because this world matters, that I'm going to give them a glimpse of glory. I'm gonna give them a whisper of Eden, knowing that one day we'll all be together, there will be no hunger. And I do that because of this belief in this resurrection and this physical and the fountain of it, that God in the flesh. And I wanna focus on this because if I say my guy is God and yours isn't, isn't that an arrogant statement and shouldn't that then cause me to be, well, you guys are idiots because my, my guy's God and yours isn't. You know what I mean? It should give us our own sense of imperialism and look down on them. But historically, that has not been the case. Historically, in the book of Acts, the, the Greco-Roman world that they were in, rich people and poor people did not hang out together. But in the church, they did. The Jews said, no, no, no other races, only our race. And in the church, all races, every tongue, tribe, and nation. When we look to Jesus as God, the reason, I'm gonna tell you the reason why I believe that it makes us inclusive, not exclusive. Well, it makes us welcoming and loving is because when we see Jesus as God, we know that that is now the reality of what God is. We know it's the reality of what the world is. And what do we see in the reality of Jesus? We see God hanging on a cross, suffering and serving those who hated him, those who opposed him, those who disagreed with him. And I would encourage all of us this morning to say if that's the reality of who God is, knowing that if I say I'm not gonna believe that, I'm having to change it for another exclusive belief, so I can't say that exclusivity is the reason I'm rejecting this. Because all I'm doing is I'm giving myself another exclusive belief. All religions are right, that's an exclusive belief. 
My question then, what is the, the exclusive set of beliefs that are true and that provide for this world the transforming agents of change and hope and peace? And I think that a group of people who see themselves as humble because I am just a sinner saved by grace. I see a group of people who know that when war is coming to Kurdistan, that uh, these people matter to me. Their bodies matter to me. Jesus resurrected. They're going to stay. They're not going to run. When I look at the, the things that make our faith different, they make the world and our lives better. And, and you can stand to your feet. I know it's 11.50. Hey, conduit kids, nice work. Stand up. You guys have made it. You survived. Um, kids especially when you're hearing this stuff on YouTube understand when they say all faiths are right and we all just have they're making an exclusive statement by saying that yours isn't and by the way Islam says it's an exclusive faith it is secularism is its own exclusive belief. We just have to really search, and I encourage you to search and seek what is the exclusive beliefs that are true and that are right and that are the best. And I firmly believe with everything. I've given my life for this, that the truth of Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected to literally bring you, he came, God became man, the fountain came to earth, the origin of it that he was gonna resurrect because our bodies matter and our life matters and this world matters. He's gonna restore it all and saved you not because of what you did, but here is love because God loved you. He became man and he became the atoning sacrifice. In two weeks, we're gonna baptize folks here. And I would, man, I hope that some of you this morning, you're listening to what I'm saying and you're saying, you know what? I think I, think I hear what you're saying. I encourage you to believe the gospel. If you already believe it, pound it more into your heart. Pound these things that are unique to our faith into your hearts and allow it to do the transforming work that it does. And if you haven't, I would encourage you this morning, would you believe the gospel? Would you believe this incredible news that God would become man? And it is an exclusive belief. Absolutely it is. And it is so exclusive that it includes all of us because he wants all of us to come in. It excludes all other false truths. It excludes all other lies. It excludes violence and oppression. It excludes all of that and only includes Jesus and you and coming into his family. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that your words uh, are landing in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you, I believe this, test the spirits, I believe that your spirit is here this morning in drawing us to you. For those of us that are standing outside looking in, Lord, I pray that it would take a step into you, take a step into your kingdom, take a step into this amazing faith life that we have. For those of us that are sitting and struggling because this faith just feels so exclusive, I pray that those words land inside of us to know that that's not an impedance to us. It's not an impedance to our faith. And as we go forward this week, uh, from the oldest into the youngest, Lord, I pray that we would uh, 
we would contend for our faith in our own hearts, that we would do the work, that we would press in to know you more, <laughs> not to get your salvation. It was given to us. This is just for us and for our own. We're so, so grateful for your grace and for your method. In Jesus' name, amen.